Morning, church family. How are y'all? That was not as good as you did for Nathan, but... (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, man. I am standing in your spot. Thanks, man. So, first of all, my name is Wes Calm. I am one of the youth ministers here at Landmark. My other uh, co-minister is over there. Her name is Emma McMichael, and we are really excited um, to be with you guys. First of all, thank you guys for just allowing us the opportunity to work with your kids. It is a blessing, and so many of you um, work with us. Thank you for doing that. Um, We love you guys, and thank you for partnering with us. So, um, Buddy asked me not too long ago to speak, and he gave me one of the rare jobs, and it's not one of my favorite ways to speak. He said, we're in between two things, and I want you to speak about whatever you want. And that sounds like a blessing, but when you give me a ton of options, uh, my mind goes everywhere. And so I was sitting there, and I was beginning to think about this. I was in the car, and I was listening to one of my favorite musicians. His name is Chris Renzema, and he has a new song out called Faith. And he says this, he says, uh, Faith is like a free fall sometimes. I still get scared sometimes. Faith is like a free fall sometimes. I still get scared sometimes. And I was sitting there and I began to think about my life and my experience of faith. And I felt like there was something there. And it reminded me of a time that... uh, I was in college, and my friends had been talking up this place called Heber Springs, and you can see it on the screen. There were the, and Heber Springs is like, there is like a man-made beach, but there's several cliff formations on this lake. And we were sitting there, and my friends were like, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to go, and you're going to jump off these cliffs, and it's going to be so awesome, except I am afraid of heights. And so I said, I don't know, and I just kind of was quiet, you know, Like when you're afraid of something and you don't, it's new friends and things like that. You don't really want to say anything. So a time came around and my wife, uh, we had been hanging out and doing some things. Uh, She was just, uh, wasn't even my girlfriend in this time. We were just talking and my friends were like, let's invite all these people out to the cliffs and let's go jumping. And so I said, okay. And we went and we got in the car and they began to talk to me about this, and I haven't told anybody I'm afraid of heights, and they were like, there are two things you need to remember, Wes. One, point your feet. When you jump off, it's about two and a half to three stories tall, so that's about two, 25 to 30 feet in the air. You point your feet, because there are rocks down there, and we haven't checked whether the water is low or high. If it's really low, you might touch rocks, and so it's better for your feet to hit. If you dove head first, Brady, I'm sorry, I know you were afraid of the backflip, but yesterday and you weren't excited about that, I promise uh, it won't happen. But all that being said, like if you go head first, something bad might happen. Second thing, jump left, not right. And I said, well, why jump left, not right? And they said, well, right, there's a huge rock down there and you will get hurt whether you jump feet first or not. So jump left off the cliff, okay? So we go and my future wife is sitting there and I'm like, I gotta jump, I gotta jump, I gotta jump, I gotta jump. And I'm watching these other people jump and jump and jump and jump. And in fact, here is a video of someone jumping off these cliffs, right? So you can understand what I'm talking about. All right. And so he jumps left, perfect form, feet pointed, um, Chaco's on, so minus for that. But all that being said, right, he makes the leap. And I'm watching people do this over and over and over again. And I'm building up the courage, and finally I leap. 
And you know, there's that moment, if you've ever jumped off of anything high, where you're like, is everything going to be okay? Like the other day, we were at the lake, and we were trying to talk to one of our kids about doing a backflip off of Doug, um, Doug's uh, second floor of his deck, if you've been, ever been out on Doug Prater's deck. And I was, they were like, do a backflip. And as a youth minister, you get challenged to do all these things, and you have to decide if you're too old to do them or not anymore. Uh, and sometimes I lose out. And so I was like, okay, I was trying to encourage this other kid, everything's going to be fine. And so I do a backflip off right? Um, it went, mm, okay. But uh, the next day I paid for it, right? And so we were sitting here and there's this moment when you jump. We're mind, heart, soul, body, art all on the same page. Uh, there's a psychological phenomenon called cognitive dissonance. It's where your heart, your mind, your soul, your body are not on the same pages. And you, if you've ever jumped, you get that. Like, you're like, I don't know if it's going to be okay. This is fun. No, it's not. Like, you're going in between all those emotions all at once. But then you hit the water. And if it was fun enough, and if your body does feel safe, what do you do? You climb up and you do it again. Right? And you do it over and over and over again. And as you do that, right, your body, your heart, your soul, your mind learns that everything's okay. And you can jump. And so it may look something like this diagram, like there is a leap, and that's kind of the hardest part. It's like convincing yourself for the first time to take that jump, but then there's the fall, and there is another point where your faith is tested in this, where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to hit the water. And if I do hit the water, is everything going to be okay? And then finally, when you get down to the water, there is safety in the fact that you made it. You know, it takes a lot of faith to jump into the unknown. I learned that that day. Like, I had no idea. Like, I could see other people's faith. They had done it before, but I had no idea. It was jumping in the unknown for me. It was pretty scary. And even though my head knew it was okay because I'd seen so many people do it before, my heart wasn't on board yet, and neither was my body. And when I begin to think about faith, I think of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, which is where most of us would get our definition for faith within the New Testament. And it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Two things from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 that we learn. Faith is trusting in God's promise, even though we do not know how God will work out every detail. Right? Like there's a part when you jump off a cliff, you don't know how every detail is going to go. And sometimes you've seen people like, they're like, I'm going to point my toes and like they turn into a windmill. Or someone does a backflip and it turns into a backflop. Right? Right? See, we don't know every detail, and that's part of the faith is that it's not seen. Like, you, 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 you've seen people do it before, and there's a logical connection to, like, other people have made this before, but what about me? Second thing is that the biblical people were praised for trust in God's plan. So what does the word faith mean in general? Where well, it comes from the word pistis within the Koine Greek. And the idea or definition that we would get from this from Strong says to, it's coming to trust or being persuaded. Coming to trust or being persuaded. And that's very different than what I was taught as a kid. What I was taught as a kid is faith meant that you just do it. And that you trust, and you trust without knowing, 
You just do it. The idea of faith and what I think a more biblical definition would be is this. So what is biblical faith? Coming to trust in God, his promises, and his word. I'm not the only person to ever think this before. In fact, uh, most of it is a man from the 1800s. His name is Soren Kierkegaard. He was a Danish theologian and philosopher, and during his time, he was battling cultural Christianity of the day. See, everybody in uh, Denmark was a Christian at that point. They went to church, and in fact, to be a part of the church, you had to have the right beliefs. You had to come before your priest, recite the right beliefs to be accepted into church and become a member. And so everybody, for the most part, believed the same thing. They did the same thing, and everybody went to church. But what Kierkegaard really didn't like is that everybody knew and professed faith. It wasn't changing anything about Denmark. And what he saw in the people is that the faith that they professed didn't actually change them. And so he spent most of his life writing wanting spiritual transformation over biblical or over theological correctness or obsession. Also, if you've heard this name before, you probably know him from... um, a phrase or term called a leap of faith. Anybody ever heard that before? Right? Kierkegaard did not write that, did not say that, but it is something that is assigned to him and probably a better translation from the Danish is a leap into the unknown. Kierkegaard was known for this and he he wrote one of his biggest pieces of work called Fear and Trembling on Abraham's life, and it was centered, a lot of his philosophical and theological ideologies around Abraham. So, Uh, if we were to say, what is a leap into faith from what Kierkegaard says? It's first, faith is an action, not a thought or belief, right? Faith to Kierkegaard meant nothing if you just believed it, right? Because anybody can have a thought or belief, but when action, when pressure comes, an action is required. And so he said, true faith is an action and not a belief. Second thing that Kierkegaard held was that you can see others' faith in powerful miracles, and it can make logical sense to you as to why you might should do it. But there are moments, because you are you, where you have to take a leap of spiritual faith that may tend everyone else around you, although it's logical to believe in God, might not make sense why you would do it. And so we go and we ask the same question Kierkegaard did, did today, who is Abraham, right? And a couple things about Abraham up on the screen is this. He obeyed God and he followed him into a foreign land. He received Isaac, the son of promise, at an old age. He asked, uh, God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And finally, he is called the father of faith and the father of Israel. These are just a couple things about him so we're all on the same page if we haven't read the story of Abraham. And we look into Hebrews chapter 11, and it professes he is one of the fathers of faith. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. It says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. 
right? I don't know if you've ever read the Hall of Faith before, but I really struggled the first time I read the Hall of Faith. In fact, when I was young, I really struggled with this because I felt like I couldn't ever live up. I would read all of these characters and I would read all of the things that they had done and I said, I don't know if I could do that. Like, these people seem perfect. (laughs) And I'm not. And I don't know if, if that's what faith is. I don't know if I can do that. You know, reading the Hall of Faith is kind of like being on Instagram. It can be really intimidating because it's kind of like reading everybody else's highlights, right? You don't get to see the fumble the quarterback made. No, you just saw the touchdown on ESPN afterwards, right? And you begin to look at it and you're reading all these people's highlights of the best parts of their lives and we forget that they have real stories and we're real human beings, And they did do faithful things, things that are really hard and crazy, in fact. If the world were to look at it. But they struggled with their faith too. Read Genesis chapter 17 with me, verses 15 through 21. Before we go there, let's get a little context though of what's happening. Sarai asked Abram to have a child with their servant, Hagar. See, Abraham's big promise was centered around that God would provide for him a son. But it's about 24 years into Abraham's story in this moment. He's not Abraham yet. And his wife says, hey, I know this woman can have a child. She's younger than me. Go have a child with her. And and that can be the the promised child that God gave us. Because, you know, we know she can do it. But I'm 99 and I don't know if that's ever going to happen. And so they tried to force the promise by a means which they could control and create. Because that's what we humans do, right? We humans, if it doesn't make complete logical sense to us, try to begin to force and create the answers that we want. Is there anything wrong with taking faithful steps towards God? Absolutely not. But here what we see is this isn't a faithful answer. This is them just trying to do something. And it created a lot of division in their house. And so here is God once again. And what we see about Abraham is not only has he doubted this in this moment, he and Sarai, but he has done this before and tried to get Eleazar, the head of his house, one of his best servants, to be the man of promise. God reiterated the promise to him there. Uh, He also reiterated the promise to Abraham when he snuck away to Egypt and he was so afraid of Pharaoh and he lied to Pharaoh and told a white lie that it was his sister. We see then this instance and then Abraham again lies about Sarah being his sister, to another king. We see this cycle where God reiterates a promise and Abraham doubts. And God has to prove himself again or reiterate it to him. So let's read. Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her by the name Sarai anymore, but Sarah shall be her name, meaning princess. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself, saying, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarai, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, 
Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And here you go. Like what we didn't read before this is God's already changed Abraham's name and iterated the promise. What we didn't read before this is God has reiterated the promise and given him a sign of the promise to forever be a part of his life. And now we're here and he's changed Sarah's name too. And still Abraham says, take Ishmael, God. He's already here. I can see him. He's tangible. He's logical. He's in my hands. And God says, no, it's not what I promised you. I'm going to take care of Ishmael. But I promised you a son. God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you. At this time next year, Abraham laughs to himself when God reiterates the promise that he's given. Right? And I don't know about you in here, but like that seems a little uh, distasteful to laugh at God. Right? Like, and, and the God that I was taught when I was a kid would have just smote Abraham, right? And we say, oh, there's no grace in the Old Testament. But here we see grace. We see huge grace because when Abraham laughs, here's what God does. He gives Abraham and Sarah new identities. He changes their names so even their name reflects the promise that he is going to give them. And then he reconfirms the promise again. He says, I don't care how many times I have to say it to you, Abraham. I will repeat it over and over and over and over until you begin to understand that even when you're not faithful, I will be. See, here's the truth. Abraham's faith was not perfect. God's faithfulness was perfect. God's perfect faithfulness allowed Abraham's faith to grow over time. And I don't know about you, but that resonates with me because I am not a perfect person. I'm not a perfect father. I'm not a perfect son. I'm not a perfect youth minister. I try really hard. And sometimes I feel like I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, but I fail and I fail and I fail. And sometimes I wonder this, if God's faith or his love for me might run out. But what I learned from the story of Abraham is that God will reiterate the promise over and over and over until you realize he means what he says. So we come to this point in, in the story, and I'm going to tell it shortly because we don't have time to read it all, but it's Genesis chapter 22. It's the sacrifice of Isaac. And God calls to Abraham and he says, hey, I want you to take the promise and I want you to put it on an altar and I want you to sacrifice it. I want you to sacrifice your son. 
Now to us, that seems really harsh, but to Abraham, who is a man, if you read later in Genesis, that comes from a family that knew who Yahweh was, but also served many gods, the gods of Abraham's time often asked this. And so part of what God is doing here is separating himself and showing his grace, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness to his people and separating himself from all these other gods. I'm not going to be a God who asks you to sacrifice your son. But He does test Abraham's faith. Do you actually love me? And so Abraham goes. And finally, when they get there, he lays him on the altar. It says in the Midrash, which is another uh, Hebrew text, that he tells Isaac about it. And Isaac actually asks him to bind him tighter. It's where the Hebrews now call this story the Akedah, where that name comes from. It's the binding. And God says, stop. There will only be one person who gives up a son. I'm the one that's faithful in this relationship. There's a ram right over there. I promised you a son. You got a son. Take him, sacrifice, an offering of thanksgiving, and go on your way. You know, if you're like me, you could ask this question. How could someone have that kind of faith? I have a newborn son right here in the front row. Like, I don't know if you could ask me that. And sometimes we say that, like, Jesus, God's the only person who did it. Like, Abraham was going to do it. He was there. He was a man. He loved God enough that he said, God, I believe in you and the promise enough. And he took the leap. How could someone have that much faith? They took a leap of faith. And they trusted God because God had proved himself faithful over and over and over again. See, Hebrews eleven nineteen is one of my favorite verses in the whole entire Bible because it shows the faith that Abraham had and what was transformational about it. He convinced, uh, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now that's faith. He hasn't seen anybody been raised from the dead. He says, well, if God gave me a son, he can raise him back. Because I've lived long enough to know I'm over a hundred now. <laughs> to know that you're faithful. Abraham's faith wasn't perfect. His faith grew to the point where he trusted God with everything and he believed that God could do anything. God's faithfulness allowed Abraham to grow into his faith. And so we sit here at the very end and we look at the Hebrews 11 and, and, and like I said before, it looks like this Instagram reel of just people's best highlights of everything that's going on in their lives. But that's not the point of Hebrews. See, if you know the book of Hebrews, the point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the greatest overall. And so if you finish in chapter 11, and it actually goes into chapter 12, you need to finish chapter 12 or start chapter 12 to see it. Man, it's all about Jesus. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Here, here, that's a little confusing, but here's what he's saying. There was a promise beyond all the promises that he'd given. 
Abraham was given one specific promise we don't talk about a lot, and it's the final one that he was given. It's probably the most important, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. They weren't perfect, but God helped them through this. Verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here's the good news. Looking to Jesus, the founder, and I want you to hear it, perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is grace. Our faith will never be perfect. Jesus' faith is perfect. And Jesus' wounds perfect our faith. You don't have to be perfect Because God is. Because Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And and so we sit here today, and this is going to stay up on screen. And we're going to take just a moment before we head into worship, praising God for what he has done, to sit around the table together for a moment. And to thank him for this, that this is grace. Our faith will never be perfect until we meet him in heaven. And Jesus' faith was enough where he endured death on a cross. And from his wounds, our faith is made perfect. Jesus, when God looks at you, this is out of Hebrews, when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, he sees his son. And so here's what we're gonna do and what I ask you to do during worship. Let's praise Jesus around the table together for his perfect faith that is giving us time to be faithful like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. And I thank you for a son, for a father, for a spirit who is giving us time to come into the fullness of our faith. And God, although it will not be perfect until we see you and meet you in eternity, God, we say this, thank you for being patient and kind, gentle and lowly, willing to die on the cross for us so that we could be set free. God, I pray that as we take this communion, may the faith in this room grow because they are able to see Jesus as who he truly is, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, Abraham's faith required a leap because it took him believing in something that made no logical sense, that a hundred-year-old man could have a child. And there are many people who, when they read stories like this, look at it and say, it would make no sense. Those are fairy tales. But here's what Abraham believed. He took the leap. If we can go to that next graphic. Abram believed God's promises and followed him into a foreign country. 
That was the beginning of his faith. When God called, Abraham went and he said, even though I don't understand exactly who you are yet or what you are asking from me, I will follow. The fall was Abraham tries to trust in God's promises and he wait and to wait on them. And that was a struggle. We see that for Abraham. Abraham struggles to wait on God's promise. And time and time again, Abraham tries to force God's promise and God says, wait. Abraham tries to force God's promise and God says, wait, because I have something better. And finally, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, he considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Finally, Abraham's faith, because he waited on God long enough and he stuck in it with him, even though it was hard, and he didn't get what he wanted for a really long time. He saw this. Let's go back to the graphic. Abraham realized God's promised me a son. He delivered that son to me. And if he can do all that, he can save that son because he promised him to me. And so my question today is, what is our leap of faith? This is, this is our leap of faith. It looks a little something like this. I believe Christ loves me and he can change me. I will try to submit to him and wait on his promises of love and redemption. And the safety is this. He changes me here and now or he will change me in eternity. You know, faith is not easy. It's hard. I learned that sometimes faith in what I've learned in my life is that there are times you're going to have to leap and fall and back into safety over and over and over again. And we lived one of those. I told you I had a son. His name is Theo. He is a bit of a chonkers. He is 19 pounds right now. Uh, Big baby. Um, But that wasn't Theo's story. He came a month early. Theo was premature. And we were having a normal birth story until we didn't. (laughs) Theo's cord had prolapsed. He was having trouble getting oxygen. And we were rushed back into the emergency room, uh, emergency OR. And my wife was taken from me. I was thrown scrubs. I had to put them on. I ran in there. And my wife had a surgery we were not planning on. And I wondered, is my son going to make it? Because it was a question for a minute. But then I was carted off. I held my son. I heard him cry. That changed. And then I didn't receive my wife for three hours. And now I was asking a different question. I have my son. But I don't have my wife. And I had to sit in that. And I had to say, and I remember praying, God, please, please don't take my wife. I love this son you gave me, but don't take my wife. And I remember texting people in this room to pray with me, God, be with my wife. And for three hours, he let me sit. And I had to just trust that he had done it before and that he could do it again because he had been faithful in my life. And here's the thing, sometimes we think we're done with the fall and Satan changes it. There was no promise that my wife would come back to me. 
There was no promise that my son would have been okay. But I knew this, that my God would be faithful no matter what, no matter what the circumstance Satan threw on me because this world is broken, God would be with me through it. And I would find safety and rest in him if I just trusted, even though it made no logical sense to anyone else. And so you might be there today. Some of you might have came in the room and like Nathan said in first service, it's a big leap of faith for you just to be here. Some of you, it might be a big leap of faith for you because you have something like I just explained that's going on in your life. I know there are people in here who are dealing with sickness. I know there are marriages under attack. I know there are tons of things that Satan has brought into this room and he is trying to convince you not to take the leap and trust God. But I encourage you in this. God is faithful. Abraham's story, I am convinced, is not a myth. It is real. And if you leap, there is a great cloud of witnesses that are here today that are ready to pray alongside you, that are ready to live alongside you and walk that journey of faithfulness with you. So here's the question. Maybe for the first time you want to put on Jesus. You want to say to everyone in here, Jesus is real, I love him, and I want to trust him. We're here for that today. Maybe some of you today need prayers for your marriage. Maybe there is a sickness. Maybe there is a story of someone saying, man, I found safety in Jesus, and I just want us all to celebrate in prayer for a minute. Here's the question. Will you leap? Because here's the promise. When we trust in Jesus, whether he changes you here and now or in eternity, he will be faithful. I promise you, if you take the leap, God will be faithful. So let's worship him because he is worthy of worship for being a faithful God who takes it all on us, on himself through the sacrifice of his son and he perfects our faith day by day and gives us room to grow. Asleep.